So if you'd like to follow along with me, uh, we're in uh, John chapter 17, and we'll read the whole chapter. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given to him, and this is the eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Your, yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in the truth that I come from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, that they are yours. All mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you gave which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may not that they may that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them to your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in the truth with your word. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me in, into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. I do not ask for these things only, but only for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, they that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even after you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given to me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will con continue to make it known that they loved, that they love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you, and Lord, we just thank you for your word that you give us, Father. You tell us in your scriptures that you give us prophecy that as it comes true, so that we would know that all that you tell us is true, Father. And Lord, in these verses, you're telling us that uh, we are in you and you are in us, Father, and that we are confirmed and, and reconciled and sanctified through the blood of your son, Jesus. So Lord, I pray for open hearts and minds this morning that they may hear the word, that it may indwell in them. I pray that you just anoint Jackie's teaching that uh, what you have for us today is clear and concise and incorporated into our daily lives, Father. And Lord, I want to take this moment to also pray for our nation as it's just uh, in chaos right now. And we need your return, Father. We ask for your blessing on all of the leaders. We ask for those that know you, that they feel comforted by you and, and encouraged by you. 
And those that don't know you, Father, that they reach out to you, that you just touch their lives, that you show them what the real truth is, Father. So, Lord, we raise up our nation and all of its leaders and ask your blessing over it. Lord, I pray for your word today, and I pray that your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, the Lord is good. All the time. I am a testimony of his goodness. Hey, if we uh, look in John 17, here's the exciting thing. We often call uh, uh, the other gospels, talk about the time when the disciples came to the Lord and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so the Lord taught them to pray. It's where we get what we call the Lord's Prayer. Well, just so you know, this is really the Lord's Prayer. That was the disciples' prayer. <laughs> Lord, how shall we pray? Here, Jesus says he's making that journey. Remember, we're still dealing with the last few hours. There's an arrest coming in just a few short verses. And as they're crossing the Kidron and beginning to climb on the other side, Jesus begins to pray. And here's one of the interesting things that we need to comprehend. That is that prayer does does not require a particular um, state, uh, meaning you don't have to be on your knees. You can be standing, you can be walking, you can be sitting. Prayer is talking to the Lord. And Jesus gives us such a great example of that. We see the posture, and I, I'm so thankful for Mark who covered for me last week so me and my beautiful bride could run away for our anniversary. I'm married 35 years, now I can count 36 is that how that works okay so <laughs> so we we had an opportunity to enjoy and mark did a great job uh, uh discussing a lot of the ideals of prayer so i don't want to tread back over that property uh but i do want to remind you as we come in jesus begins in verse one and he says this he, he says uh, when jesus had spoken these words he lifted his eyes to heaven that was the 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 stature that he took we often say, bow your heads or close your eyes. We talk about kneeling at the bed. Uh, we talk about a lot of different postures in prayer. Jesus, and oftentimes scripture talks about this, the idea that we lift our eyes to heaven. Why? Because that's where our help comes from, right? This is what the, the word declares. In, in Psalm 5, verse 1 through 3, it says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for unto you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and I watch. Now where is he watching? He's lifted his eyes up to heaven. He is looking. In Psalm 121, verse 1, it says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From whence does my help come? It's not coming from the hills, right? My help comes from the Lord, Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, who made heaven and earth. Psalm 123.1 says, to you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. So as they're walking on their way to the Mount of Olives, Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven. And he says, Father, the hour has come. It is time. There's only 14 times in the Old Testament prior to the Gospels before Jesus comes. 14 times where God is called Father. Once Jesus arrives, there are 70 times that the Lord is called Father. And ones that are particularly uh, impactful to me is... The times in which he calls out Abba, Abba Father. It's, it's like uh, dearest father, daddy, some people say. It's a term of, of respect, but also a term of, of love. And so he, he would cry out, Abba Father, all things are possible for you. This is the prayer he'll pray from Gatshmone. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but... Your will be done. 
Abba, dearest Father. I know you could take this away, but I'm not here to ask that this be taken away. I'm here to do your will. He says in Romans 8.15, Paul writes, For you, you and I, we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. We've been adopted. It's such a beautiful thing that we have a, a dedication this morning for an adopted child because every single one of us who are in the family of God have been adopted by God. And that adoption means, just like Justice can look to Dave and say, Daddy, you and I can lift our eyes to the heavens and cry out to our dearest father, our beloved father, our dad. So Paul writes, this is how we cry out, Abba, Father. Paul writes in Galatians 4, 6, that because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, dearest Father. So Jesus models this, this, this crying out, lifting our eyes to our Father in heaven, that he is our beloved father, that he cares for us, and that he will hear us. And so he lifts up his eyes to heaven and he cries out, Father, the hour has come, the time is here, that, and then he says, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. The first five verses of this prayer, Jesus is focused on he and the father. His focus is on he and the Father and the glory which he had before the worlds began. <clears throat> so this, this part of the incarnation, the doctrine of the deity of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, is that something occurred prior to the foundation of the world that you and I can't even begin to fathom when the word became flesh. And so Jesus, as he's lifting up his eyes and he looks to his father, his dearest father, he is crying out for the glory that he had before the world began. And you know where that glory is going to be established? It's at the cross. Because what he's going to accomplish there is how the father is going to glorify the son and how the Son will glorify the Father. He says, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Now, what's he talking about? If you look at the previous verses, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, it talks about the exaltation of Christ in his humiliation. That he was obedient even unto death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him, listen, he bestowed upon him Hashem, the name that is above every name. You know, in the Old Testament, when the Hebrew... Um, people would, would come and transcribing the scripture. They wouldn't write God's name. They wanted to keep the name of the Lord holy. So when they came to it, there were several things that they would substitute for the name of God. One of those things is the, is the phrase Hashem. Hashem just means the name. He, is, he has the name. And here, Paul is saying, the Father has exalted the name of Yeshua. Yeshua means God, or Yahweh is salvation. And he's saying he has exalted that name above Hashem, the name that is above every name. So the exaltation of Christ, every name that can be named, his name is elevated above. So that at the name of Jesus, we know this part. Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is 
Kyrios. Jesus Christ is the Yahweh. He's Yahweh. Jesus Christ is God of very God. And who will be glorified in it? The Father. The Father receives glory when the Son is glorified. Now we'll understand that, I think, as we, as we go a little bit further on, but there's specific things that he's calling out to. Listen to what he said. He said, you've given him a, a authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whomever you've given him. Whomever he has been given, he can give eternal life to, and this is eternal life. So we don't have to wonder, what's eternal life? He's going to tell us, this is eternal life, that they know you his eyes lifted to heaven, to he who sits on the throne, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the Son gives life to all the children that the Father has, all the children that the Lord gives him. And he says eternal life is twofold. It's knowing the only true God and it's knowing Christ whom the Father sent. Now who is the only true God? The Bible declares, hear O Israel. Do you know the rest? Hear O Israel, the Lord your God. He is one God. Yahweh is the only true God. Yahweh is eternally expressed through the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This is not a differentiation between Jesus and the Father, like the Father is really God and Jesus is it. No, Jesus is saying, here is eternal life. You have to know Yahweh, the only true God. There is one God. And you must know Jesus Christ, whom the Father sent. Why? Why does he lay it out this way? Why does he describe it like this? Look, we have to realize the only way that you and I can know God is through the revelation of God to us. And how is it that God has revealed himself to us? The Bible tells us that God is unknowable invisible beyond our comprehension and so the word became flesh and so what is the revelation of God the revelation of God is Jesus Christ we know God through his son Jesus said no one comes to the father except how do you know the father Jesus Philip said well show us the father and it'll suffice us and Jesus said have I been with you so long you don't know? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There is one God, eternally existent in Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is saying, here's eternal life. You have to know Yahweh, and you know Yahweh how? Through me, through Jesus. He's the way that we know him. God has revealed himself through his son. It is not possible to know God any way you choose. There is only one way. There is only one way by which we may know him. We must know God through him whom he sent, Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. <clears throat> we come through him. John 1.18 says, says this, that, that no man has seen God at any time. The only God who is in the bosom of the Father, he reveals God to us. So Jesus Christ becomes that Everything gets confusing when I, if I use the wrong words, so I don't want to confuse you guys. He becomes the person through which we are able to understand and comprehend the unknowable God. It's all through Jesus Christ, his son. And he gives eternal life. He gives eternal life to those who know the Father. 
who know the only true God, Yahweh, and they know him through the Son whom he sent. Verse 4, I glorified you on earth, <laughs> having accomplished the work you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory which I had with you before the world began. So Jesus is praying for glory. And here's what we have to understand. This is not a selfish prayer as Jesus is in the first five verses is focused on himself because he's focused on the glory which is just a few hours away. Now for you and I, that glory is going to look real different. It's going to look like he was hated by God and despised and rejected of men. And people are going to turn their face from him. That's what Isaiah 53 says. But see, as men turn their face from him, they consider that Jesus is hated by God and smitten by him and God doesn't want anything to do with him. What is really happening is Jesus is being glorified in his humiliation so that, like it says in Philippians 2, the Father will exalt him above every name that is named. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so exactly what Jesus is praying for is going to be accomplished. He will be glorified and he will have the glory that he had with the Father before the world began. The doorway to that glory is through the humiliation of the cross. And so he's going to come to that place where he is able <clears throat> to, to experience all that the Lord has for him. Now the Lord's prayer is going to shift. It's going to shift now to a focus on his disciples. In verse 6, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Now, a lot of people want to focus on this. Who's Jesus praying about? Verses 6 through 19, roughly, he's praying for his disciples. And in praying for his disciples, prior to even picking the disciples, Jesus went away to a solitary place and he prayed all night long. Then he rises up the next day and he goes and he bids each one come and follow me. And each one who follows him was given to him by the Father. The Father gave these disciples. And as the Father gives them, this is what he's saying. I have manifested your name. <clears throat> I am. Jesus Christ is a manifestation of Yahweh. The character of God, the comprehension of God, everything we know and want to know comes through the word of God. God the word, the son of God expresses it all. And so he's expressed it to them, he's manifested it to them so that they would know him. He said, yours they were, speaking to the father, but you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Listen to that. They have kept your word. Now, when you go back and you run the tape on the disciples, is that how you want to describe them? We're going to run the tape. We're going to, let's just back it up. You know, the different arguments they've had over who's the greatest, the times when they busted Mary's chops, when she pours out this beautiful, uh, fragrant uh, perfume on Jesus, the time when an immoral woman was washing his feet with her tears. All of the different experiences, all the different things that happen in Jesus' life. But listen to what he said about his disciples. They have kept your word. Because keeping the word of God does not focus on your performance. Keeping the word of God means you treasure what God has said. Here's the reality for you and I. We may treasure the word of God, but our performance may be somewhat lacking. Now, this is not an excuse to continue poor performance. It just is our condition. Think about your condition as a man, as a woman, as a child. We don't always make the right choices, do we? We don't always do the right things. We don't always say things the way we should have said them or done things the way we're supposed to do them. But listen to what Jesus said about his disciples. They kept your word. It's not about perfect performance. It's about do you treasure the word of God? 
Listen, all of these ideas, they come together in this. Jesus Christ is the word. The word became flesh. They kept your word. They love Jesus. They love God's word. And that is the point. Keeping his word. Remember, Jesus is the revelation of God. When he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What was it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the idea of keeping the word, treasuring the word of God, is equal to treasuring the Son of God, is equal to loving the Lord your God with all your heart. This is how it's done. This is not some emotive thing where we, we are filled with, um, I don't know, puppies and flowers in our brains and we, we dance around like flower children loving God. That's not, the, that's not what he's talking about. This is a love that requires your whole being. Not just your emotions, but your reasoning, your understanding, your strength. And so he lays out, they have kept your word. They, they were yours, you gave them to me, they have kept your word. And now they know that everything you have given me is from you. So Jesus is saying, now they know, they know that all that we see here is all, every good and perfect gift that we experience in this life comes from our Father in heaven. Every time you open up the door in Idaho and you look out on a beautiful day and you, you think, man, I can't believe I live here. That's a gift from God. Every time. You get to be on two wheels screaming down the road with your hair blowing in the wind and no police in sight. <laughs> it's a gift. Every time you get to experience God's blessing here, it's a good thing that the Lord has poured out on you. It comes from him. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 8, for I have given them the words that you gave me. Remember, we talked about this, this whole act of the Father giving, and how is it that the Father gives, and how is it that, that uh, they are apart, how does that all work out? And in John chapter 5, the mark, the earmark that Christ gives is that you believe, that you've received the word that was given. Now listen closely to what Jesus said. I took the words, Father gave him the words, right? The words are given to him. I have given them the words you gave me, and they received them. That's how they're given. This is why Jesus could say Judas was never mine. Because he never received the words that were given. In fact, he's going he's gonna to discuss him in just a moment. But he says, <clears throat> I have given them the words you gave me and they have re received them. Listen to what he's been describing so far about the, the, the disciples and, and where they are in Christ. They have kept your word. They have received your word and they have believed you sent me. This is Jesus' focus on his disciples. This is what he's laying out for them. They received them and have come to know in truth I came from you and they have believed you sent me. They kept the word, they received the word, they believed. That's how that works. Still how that works to this day. He says in verse 9, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. The Son is glorified in believers. Those who have kept the word, received the word, and believed upon him. It says that the Son is glorified in that. Lord, I want to bring glory and honor to the Son. How do I do it? I do it by believing. Jesus was asked, what do I do to do the works of God? And Jesus said, believe in the one whom the Father has sent. You believe. That's how you glorify God. 
You glorify God by keeping his word. You glorify the son when you receive it, when you accept it. You glorify him. And so this is uh, his relationship, Jesus' relationship with the disciples. Now he's going to pray for them. And I am no longer in the world, <coughs> excuse me, but they are. And I am coming to you. So, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep them in your character. Keep them in you. Keep them in. I love the fact that Paul would de declare, he'd make this declaration. I know and whom I have believed, and I am persuaded he is able to keep me unto that day. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded, I am convinced that he is able to keep me. Because if it depends on me, I'm, I'm, it's over. The one thing I know is my consistency is not great. <laughs> I know you guys are all very consistent, and I appreciate that. <clears throat> but my consistency is not great. But who is more consistent than I? The Father, he's perfectly consistent. God Almighty is perfectly consistent. I am persuaded he is able to keep me. He is able to keep me. So Jesus is praying for his disciples. Keep them in your name. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one as we are. One. Now, this is something that we see throughout Scripture, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all spoken of as Yahweh, all described as Echad, unified, one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, he is one God. Now, what is Jesus' prayer for his disciples, his own personal knuckleheads, the guys who fight about who's the greatest, the guys who, who are, are always in some kind of power play, the guys who are always looking to elevate themselves one way or another, just like people still do in the church today. What is his prayer for them? That they would be one. That they would be unified. And where is it that we find our unity? In Christ. Christ is our unity. We are only and can only be unified in the truth, and Jesus Christ is the way, the, and the life. <clears throat> so we are unified in Christ. He's praying that they may be one, even as we are one. The same way that there is no way to divide Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can't cut one out and cut the other one out and cut the other one and end up with three gods. You can't do it. There's one God. And you can't find a division between Father and Son. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all their wills are united for one purpose. And what's his prayer for his disciples? The same, that they would be one like we are one. That they would be unified, that their focus would all be the same focus. Now, listen, if you keep the word of God, if you treasure God's word, there's always an objective way to find your center. Because it's in the word. As soon as we put the word away and we start to run off of subjective ideas, feelings, well, I feel like this is what God wants us to do. And someone else says, well, I feel like that's what God wants us to do. And it's hard to find unity when truth is subjective. So how do we find the truth? We come to the word of God. Does, does God give us marching orders? Do we know what we're supposed to do? Go into all the world, to every nation, and make disciples, baptizing people in the name, singular, of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them the things I taught you, and know, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. So the Lord has, we have clear direction, we have a clear uh, uh, <coughs> call for our obedience, the Lord is saying for his disciples. This is his prayer for his disciples. That I'm talking about the 12 now. That they would be unified. 
that they would be unified. He said, while I was with them, I, Jesus, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction. Not one of them is, this is a play on words that you don't get in English. So it's like not, not one of them is lost except the lost one. Not one of them is, is been destroyed except the son of destruction. There's a, a play on words that describes <clears throat> this, this doomed one to destruction. What it points to is not destiny. It points to character. This phrase is about the character of Judas, not his destiny. What it means is this one is characterized by lostness. He never received the word. He never came, and therefore he was never saved. He's lost because he's the lost one. He's lost because he's the lost one. And it says this was accomplished so that the scripture might be fulfilled. Psalm 41.9, you have uh, uh, what's traditionally considered the prophetic psalm of a relationship between David, right, and the Christ. Mashiach Nagid is supposed to be the son of David. So the things that happen to David oftentimes become prophetic in the life of Christ. David had a very close friend, Ahithophel, who had lifted up his heel against him. He had betrayed him. He writes about it in Psalm 41.9. Even my close friend, in whom I'm trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. We know the same about Judas. Psalm 109 is another psalm describing the same uh, event in David's life. It says this, in return for my love, they accuse me. But I give myself to prayer. So they remind me, evil for good and hatred for, or they reward me, evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. And when he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few and may another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to, pit, to pity his fatherless children. And may his posterity be cut off and his name blotted out. <clears throat> Psalm 109 Describing, again, the attitude of, ultimately, the attitude of God toward unfaithfulness. Same one you have. Same one I have. And none of us walk around saying, what I really want is an unfaithful friend. I need unfaithful people in my life. Is that what you're looking for? I, 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 you put an ad in a personal ads, you know, looking for one unfaithful person in my life. Nobody does that. Nobody honors a betrayer. No culture does. This is no, this is no different. This same phrase for this lost one is used again in 2 Thessalonians 2, <clears throat> talking about the Antichrist and the end of days, that final uh, uh, battle that the Bible speaks of at Har Megiddo, or the Valley of Armageddon. 2 Thessalonians 2.3 says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion, the apostasia, comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man of lawlessness, the son of perdition, the son of destruction, the lost one, who's characterized by lostness. When this one comes, he will be revealed, but not until the apostasia happens first. The great departing of the faith, which we may be watching today. The great apostasia. So what's the challenge? 
What's the challenge of the church in an age like this? What's the challenge? What is it that Jesus is crying out for? He says, look, the only people who are lost are the ones who are stuck in their lostness. Their lives are characterized by lostness. They've rejected, they've turned from, <laughs> from the truth of the word of God and they find themselves separated from God and acting in course as the betrayer. So what is the role of the body of Christ? The role of the body of Christ has not changed. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be discipling and being disciple, disciplers and discipled. We need to know the word of God. We need to understand how to pray. We need to know how to share our faith. We need to be grounded in the truth because the days are coming when every time I turn on the news, it seems like there's another guy who used to proclaim he was a believer who now says, yeah, no, I'm out. And we can have the argument later. It doesn't really matter to me. You know, the age-old argument, well, they were never really a believer or they were a believer and they turned their back and lost their, their faith. It doesn't make any difference. At the end, result is still the same, isn't it? Somebody who professed faith now is rejecting faith. So <clears throat> the end result is we still see someone lost. How do we ground the church so that they, we don't see those things occurring? We have to do what the word of God called us to do that we've been neglecting. And that neglecting that we've been doing is we have neglected uh, discipling. We have neglected so that every man and every woman and every child understands what they believe, why they believe it, how to talk to the Lord, how to share their faith, how to walk with God. And we got to get back to that instead of all the other things because if you want your children to be grounded, that's how they're grounded. They're not grounded because they go to Sunday school. They're grounded because at home, mom and dad disciple their kids. That's how it happens. I know I'm working on surviving it myself. We must be disciplers. We must be willing to be discipled, to comprehend what is the width and breadth and height and depth of the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, and to have enough confidence to say, yeah, I feel like I am able to share my faith out loud with my family, with my neighbors, with my community. That's what we need in the age <clears throat> of apostasia, of the rebellion. Now Jesus goes on in verse 13, John 17, he says, but now I am coming to you. So Jesus is going to the Father. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Our joy linked in our relationship with Christ. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. The world will not love you if you love the word. Just look at the world today. You stand for Christ, and there's not any shortage of people who will hate you for it. If you stand for Christ, you are a racist. I just heard last week Jesus was a racist. Uh, which was a message delivered by a professing believer. You stand in Christ, you stand on the word of God, and this world will hate you. That's how that works. And there will come a day when you will have to choose. And the fence ain't no place to be. Get off the fence, stand on the word, come what may. Whatever they say, they say. Jesus said this for his disciples. Hey, listen, I, I have given them your word, and the world hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. This place is not my home. We read the Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, you have this beautiful picture of all these great heroes of faith who are not perfect, who if we go through their lives with even a loose uh, uh, view, we're going to find multiple failures. 
But what is it that God remembers of these people? Their faith. That they looked for something they never got here. Because it's not here, it's with him. And if we hold on to here so tight. Now, when we're young, we don't understand it. I remember a preacher would start talking like this. I'd be like, what in the world, dude? I, you lived, you're old. I ain't done none of these things yet, and I want to do them. Uh, there's things I want to do. I want to experience in this world. It's okay. It's okay for you to feel that. I'm not telling you not to feel that way. There are things to be excited about here. I'm just trying to share to you what old people know. Here's what old people know. When you enjoy those incredible things, the, the glory of those things will fade. And then what happens is you go, what was I spending all this time for? What was I, I chased this thing and I got this thing and now it's just a thing. Because our hearts are tuned for something greater than this world. C.S. Lewis said, if you find in your lives a desire that can't be satisfied by anything here, it means you are made for another world. And I did the same stuff. I tried to plug all that stuff in my life. I get it, and I get that you won't listen, and you already have your fingers in your ears. Okay. It's okay. <clears throat> That's what it is to be young. It's okay. I just want you to know there will come a day for you when you'll, it, something will ding in your head and you'll go, oh, this is what Jackie was talking about. And when that ding goes off in your head, remember, everything here fades. Nothing gold stays. But there is a permanent home, a place where God knows your name and has prepared a place for you with him. That will be the satisfaction that we spend our longing for. We just don't always know it. We think it's the next shiny thing. I have in my life owned too many Harleys. And I remember the first one. I probably even told my wife, my life is complete. I, I finally got my first Harley. I'm so excited. And then, like, the day I got it, someone passed me. And then I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm not quite there yet. I, I need a different one. And the different one becomes a different one becomes a different one. You guys have been on this track with something, right? I will tell you honestly from the bottom of my heart, the number one thing in my life that has bought, brought the most satisfaction is Jesus Christ. I have never in my entire walk with Christ said, you know what, I need something else. Everything in the core of my being says this is it, this is the thing, this is what I hold on to, this is my future, this is my hope. And all, all the other things that I chased for so long, they just begin to fade away. It's okay to enjoy them. They're given to you by God. Every good thing comes down from our Father in heaven so that we might enjoy it. But I, don't, I no longer fall in love with the thing. I love the giver. My, my eyes focused on the prize of Jesus Christ. So he says, listen, he wants you to, he, he's asking the Father that you would keep them from the evil one. Protect them. Protect them. They are not of this world as I am not of this world. Look at verse 17. How are you going to protect them? Sanctify them in the truth. What's the truth? Your word is truth. <laughs> How is it that we are protected in the world? By being sanctified in the truth. The word of God is true. As you sent me into the world, so I send them. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also 
may be sanctified in the truth. Jesus Christ going to the cross is doing a work of justification and sanctification and glorification, and not only in the lives of the disciples, but for you and I. So Jesus is saying, I consecrate myself so that they may be sanctified. So that they may be purified. So they may be justified. So they may see your face. There will be a day. Jude 24 and 25 declares this. It says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the Father. This is the work that Jesus Christ does. He presents us faultless. Why? Not because you became faultless, but because he covers you. His consecration, his death, burial, and resurrection covers you and makes you clean. So that you might stand before the Father one day and see him with your eyes, just as Job declared. Looking to a promise he never saw. He said, for I know that my Redeemer lives And with my eyes, I will see God. With my eyes. He's going, which he has, and you will. This is the promise that Jesus is laying out. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me, so I send them. Consecrating them. Focusing on on sanctifying them and cleansing them. And then the Lord's prayer is going to turn from the disciples of the day where Jesus is to you and me. He looks out beyond the time he stands in and he prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for all who believe through their word. How do we come to believe? Through the word. Ephesians chapter 1 Lays out for us. How is it that we come to believe? By hearing the gospel. It's verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, somewhere in that area. By hearing the gospel, receiving the word, believing in him. That's how you come to faith. He says, I, play for the, I pray for these. Not only these ones here, but those who will believe because of their word. Because of their witness. Isn't that what Phil shared? And they overcame the enemies by the blood of the Lamb, the word of the testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. They did not love their own life. The blood of the Lamb washed them clean, and the word of the testimony, what God did in their lives, how God moved in their life. He says, I pray for those who will believe. What's he pray for them? Look at verse 21. What is he praying for us? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe you have sent me. What's he praying for us? Unity. Same unity he prayed for his disciples. The same unity. What are we unified in? Unified in the truth. Who is the truth? Jesus Christ. So if you are in Christ and I am in Christ, we have unity. We have unity together. Jesus is praying that. How many prayers do you think Jesus prayed that he didn't get answered? He's praying that we would be one. That we would be unified as the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. That we would be in him, Jesus said, Abide in me and I abide in you, right? We want to be in Christ Jesus. It's a phrase Paul uses 169 times in 13 epistles. Do you think it's important? To be in Christ Jesus. How do we get into Christ Jesus? How are we baptized into the body of Christ? We're baptized into the body of Christ by faith. We hear the word of the gospel. We receive the word. We believe the word, we enter in, we're baptized into the body of Christ. That moment, it occurs. We are in him. And we can have unity if that is going to be the place we stand. Stand in Christ. Stand in him. Be in him. So that the world might believe that 
Jesus was sent by the Father. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. You, you hear the theme? Does God want unity in the body of Christ? Let me ask you, do you want unity in your body? Or, or would you be like, you know, tomorrow when I wake up, I want my arms to rebel against my legs. So I wake up in the morning and my arms are punching my legs and my legs are kicking my arms, which would be quite the feat because I'm pretty sure those two things haven't touched each other in a long time. Certainly not my feet. I have zip-up boots, so I don't have to tie them. What if your body goes into rebellion against your body? What do we call that? That's cancer. Should there be cancer in the body of Christ? If there's rebellion in the body of Christ, who bleeds? If one part is hurt, what's it do to the body? All of these things are teachings that Paul gives on the body of Christ. And we're not all the same. We're different parts. There's lots of parts in your body. We're, there's different parts, but we're all unified together. Why? Because we're in one body, the body of Christ. Unity in Christ according to the truth of the word of God. That's how we find unity in him. Verse 23, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know you sent me and love them even as you love me. He's praying for this unity in the future believers. He's praying that the spirit of God would unite us in the body of Christ. This is the desire of the Son to glorify, to be glorified and to glorify the Father. Verse 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. So Jesus not only is praying for unity, he's praying that there will be the day when you see his face, that you will have finished your race you will have run well. For I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded. He is able to keep me unto that day. That day, I, one, of the, one of my favorite parts in funerals is this idea that Jude brings out. That when that person dies here, he finds himself face to face with Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is going to take you by the hands and introduce you to the Father, covering all your failure with his blood. Covering you completely with his body. He's going to introduce you without fault, blameless, before God Almighty. He is going to usher you into that place, and it will be a thing of beauty. You can't even begin to fathom it. And on that day, you with Paul will be able to say what he says in Romans 8, 18. For I do not consider this present suffering worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. None of the things we go through are going to compare to that moment when Almighty God takes his nail-pierced hand and he touches your cheek and he wipes away your tears. Not just the ones you're crying in that moment. Every tear. The Bible declares that the Father... God Almighty, he keeps your tears in his bottle. They are precious to him. All your hurts matter to God. And there'll be a day when he, he in a touch, is going to purge them. That's a glorious day and an incredible promise. And it is of exceedingly greater value than anything else you could ever want or imagine. Jesus is praying they will, that we will see him, see his glory. 
given to him before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The Lord prays for our unity. He prays for that moment of fellowship together with him. And then finally he prays for the love of God. The love of God which is poured out in your life by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> the Word of God provides every one of these things that Jesus is talking about. He says about the Father, look, I have made known your name and I'll continue to make it known. Because in the beginning was the Word. There was never a moment in Yahweh's existence over eternity when wisdom was not with Yahweh. Wisdom, according to the book of Proverbs, is Christ. There's not a moment when God did not have wisdom. Wisdom is Jesus. He's in the bosom of Yahweh, and he proclaims Yahweh to everyone. The word was face to face with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh. And he came into his own. And his own did not receive him. But to as many as did receive him. To them gave he the power to become the adopted sons of God. Wherein all the blessings we've been talking about this morning are found in Christ Jesus. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, as we come before you this morning, Lord God, I do just want to echo the prayer you prayed for those who would believe on the word that the disciples shared. Lord, I pray that you would bring us together in truth, that you would bind us together, even as we find ourselves looking in a world that is rejecting you on every turn. May we be men, women, children whose eyes are focused on the prize. May we be unified in Christ, in one body, unified together. Lord, may we have fellowship with one another. May we look forward to that moment, that day when we see your glory. Thank you for the little glimpses we get throughout life, the fingerprints of God that we see around us and in us and through us. Lord, may we, may we continue to have eyes for that, Lord, having fellowship with one another, unified together, looking for your glory. And then, God, I pray that the same way the Father loves the Son and the Son loves His church, that we would love one another. For Jesus said, He could have said a lot of things. He could have said, They'll, they'll know you're my disciples by your tattoos. They'll know you're my disciples by your clothes. They'll know you're my disciples by your hair. But he didn't say any of those things. He said, they'll know you're my disciples by how you love each other. Because you will love each other like I have loved you. God, I pray in accordance with your word in Romans 5, that the love of God would be poured out in our lives by the Holy Spirit. The Everything we need to be loving has been provided. May we walk in your love. May we express your love. May we be unified in your truth. May we come together to equip one another for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry, quite simply, is as simple as fathers teaching their children, praying with their wives, loving 
one another, not allowing families to be divided as the world would divide it. Why? Because the family is a picture of the Godhead. That's why the world hates the family. Lord, pray that you would help us to walk what you've called us to walk. For we indeed are in these last days. And 2 Thessalonians declares, <coughs> the stage is set for the revealing of the man of sin, the lost man who will take us to that final days on earth. But Lord, your word declares that will not happen until the apostasia. The apostasia, the abandoning of the faith. So God, in the days of that occurrence, may we be men and women of the book. May we be men and women of faith. May we be men and women of love. May we be men and women who stand with one another and encourage one another so that the body of Christ here in Buell has no cancer in it, Lord. The body of the Christ here in Buell may be filled with life giving truth that you might be glorified in us that you God would receive all the praise and the glory for it that we may honor you even as you prayed and we Lord will give you all the praise and the glory for it in Jesus name Amen